listening to What Happened in Baghdad, a podcast exploring the fascinating life and work of the creatives that once called the Iraqi capital home. I'm your host, Kamil Saeed, and I was born on the eastern Rosafa side of Baghdad, parallel to a street once dubbed the city's pleasure capital. The namesake of the street, the Arab-Persian poet Abu Nuwas, is the subject of this episode. was a poet born in the 8th century and he's one of the most famous Arabic poets in the history of the Arabic language still today. Um, he's mostly famous for writing about his love of wine and the attractive young men who served the wine. Those were his favorite themes, but he wrote about all kinds of things like hunting poetry and praise poetry, pretty much all the major genres had a huge influence on the history of Arabic literature through his sort of innovative poetic style um, and is also kind of remembered as being a buffoon or a joker, an alcoholic. But I think I think we're going to show that he was a little more complicated than that. Al-Hassan ibn Hani al-Hakami, a.k.a. Abu Nuwas, was born in Ahwaz province, modern-day Iran, to an Arab father and Persian mother. Like his contemporary Ijahilth, who we covered in the last episode, Abu Nuwas spent most of his early life in Basra, Iraq, a major commercial and cultural center at the time. There, Abu Nuwas would learn and memorize the Quran, becoming a hafiz at a young age. While in Basra, Abu Nuwas's boyish good looks and innate charisma would attract the attention of a Kufan poet by the name of Waliba, who would take him up to Kufa as his young apprentice. Kufa was to Basra what Oxford is to Cambridge, and Abu Nuwas would be introduced to an elite group of libertine poets, known for their love of wine and homoerotic verse. However, it's in Basra, Emily tells me, that Abu Nuwas would have a formative and well-documented romantic encounter. Abu Nuwas was known during his time and still today as, as favoring the erotic company of men. Um, so it came as a bit of a surprise to his friends when he fell in love, it seems, with a slave woman named Janan, who she was one of these highly educated, um, called the Jawari uh, slave women who were quite important literary figures at the time and would compose their own poetry and sing their own music and engage in sort of witty, dirty conversation at parties. Um, and I mean, in a way, kind of fulfilled the same social role as a drinking companion that that Abu Nuwas would in his time. And so I think they had a little bit of a poetic rivalry with one another. But it seems like Abu Nuwas also was in love with her and, and even followed her to Mecca on pilgrimage, not so much for the sake of the pilgrimage as for the sake of following behind Janan. Were they together for a long time, do we know? Or was it something that drove him out of Basra? You know, I'm based a lot of this on a really lovely book by Phil Kennedy called Abu Nuwas, A Genius of Poetry, that sums up his biography a lot. And the version he gives there is a little inconclusive. Um, some people say that they were going to have a romantic relationship, but Janan um, stipulated that he had to stop sleeping with boys if he was going to sleep with her, and he refused. Um, but Kennedy says, 
probably he actually just wanted to go to Baghdad because Baghdad was the place to go if you really wanted to to shine as a as a literary figure and 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 that's where he went to make his name for himself. So he had, he moved. I think he probably moved from Basra to Baghdad and, and had to say goodbye to her for that reason. In one poem, Abu Nuwas writes, someone asked, would you do the Hajj? I said, yes, were there no pleasure left in Baghdad? Abu Nuwas would arrive in Baghdad during the reign of the legendary Harun al-Rashid, at the peak of the city's glory. It was the great metropolis that he'd always longed for. I mean, I think it's fair to say that Baghdad at that time was, in some sense, the literary center of, of the world. It was the place to be if you wanted to be at the cutting edge of science or philosophy or medicine or poetry or just, uh, you know, the intellectual life. And it had all kinds of people there, Christians, Jews, Zoroastrians, um, kind of working together and I'm not saying it was a paradise. It definitely had riots and unrest and all that sort of stuff that any major city has. You know, tricksters, people would steal your money in the street, but that, that's what human cities are like. Um, but definitely, if you had ambition to be a great scholar or a poet, you'd want to go to Baghdad. Um, and if you could work your way into the courts of the rich and famous, and especially the caliphal court, um, the court of the caliph, and become a drinking companion of those sorts of people, then really it was at sort of literary gatherings or just wine drinking parties and feasts where if you could stand up and be eloquent in public, you could really make a name for yourself and you could write praise poetry for rich people who would pay you for that. You could threaten to write satire to rich people if they didn't pay you enough. <laughs> so for someone like Abu Nuwas, it was, it was just a, a glorious opportunity. And, um, you know, wine was a huge part of the culture. It was in the medical literature, the, um, as well as just the party literature. And even though, of course, there was all sorts of debates and uh, going on among the Islamic legal scholars about whether you should drink wine and how much, uh, just because something's illegal doesn't mean that, that people don't do it. I said, I mean, uh, the, the, look, at, look at marijuana in California before it was made legal. It was a huge part of the culture there. So I think for someone who loved wine, it was like Abu Nuwas. It was also an attractive place to be. So I guess it was a combination of both those things. Like he was there for business and pleasure. Pleasure was business for him. I mean, he was well, I guess he became a, a, a Nadim, which means a drinking companion, but it mm -hmm. was a job. Uh, if you were the drinking companion of a caliph or the rich and famous and they would give you expensive presents and you could earn your living that way. So, kind so of you were paid to drink. It. So you uh, were paid to drink, essentially. Yeah. <laughs> what an incredible sort of... job. It's like wine tasting, <laughs> but... <laughs> so you paid to drink and to, and to be witty and, and at parties. And since he was so good at coming up with poetry and witty remarks on the spot, it was just the perfect job for him, I guess. It's at these parties and gatherings where Abu Nuwas would compose his famed wine poems, the Khamriyat. I asked Emily, what are they like? In Abu Nuwas's Khamriyat, they are almost a little bit 
spiritual. He loves wine so much that it's like a vessel of divine sort of liquid, which, you know, in the in the vision of Islamic paradise, there, it is a banquet-like vision of fine food and drink and beautiful company. And I feel like Abu Nuwas found the drinking and, and the parties of Baghdad to be a sort of earthly reflection of paradise. So they're, they're, you know, they are playfully blasphemous and humorous and hedonistic in a way. But I think he was deeply moved by wine on an almost spiritual level. And for that reason, his hamaria or wine poetry went on to influence later Sufi poetic expressions of, of love for God. Um, so it's complicated. Far from mere wine praise poems, Briar tells me that the Khamriyat acted as a kind of vehicle for innovation. This poetry is kind of like a, a way to start a new type of poetry. It's, 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 it's a, a way to, I think it, it's, it's part of the process of literary change in, 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 um, in Arabic poetry. Um, and I think uh in like Khamriyat was part of it i think that in the, the it, it, so the, the the process of literary change i think uh so um i used that theory of jury lutman to 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 trace the process of literary development in iraqi modern poetry and the process of literary change happens in, in like kind of like three steps where first one is the internal dynamism of the poetic system uh, so when the poetic system within itself tries to describe itself in an in hetero unpresented and present hetero unprecedented is that right unprecedented ways that's what it's such a difficult word yeah. I hate it so it's, so it's kind of like challenging the established poetic uh, conventions and and one of the things that Abu Nuwas did. Um, he challenged like the conventions of poetry, like uh, by by For example, like usually conventional Arabic poets started with atlal, you know, sitting on the on the ruins of the beloved and writing a poem about that. Uh, but Abu Nuwas was very much against that, and um, um, and he started with Khamriyat. Uh, so he kind of like it was a way of changing poetry, um, and also. It kind of criticized that type of poetry. Uh, I don't know if, if we have time, but uh, if, I'm just reciting one of his poems. Um, so, of course, Layla and Hind are one of the most like mentioned names in Arabic classical poetry. And he say like, stop doing that anymore. Like, stop, don't write about Layla and Hind, and and just drink from this. Uh, red rose wine, um, and and also uh, he kind of like also um, did hija um, in a way that uh, he he wrote hija about the the tribal uh, Arabic society, and he didn't want that to like he hated the desert, he hated that kind of life, the Bedouin life. He wanted like a you know the city life, the urban life. So even he, he wrote a poem about the Timim uh, uh, tribe in in Arabia. Uh, 
عد عن ذا كيف أكلك للطب تفاخر أبناء الملوك سفاهة وبولك يجري فوق ساقك والكعب using the old form of Arabic poetry like Buja uh, but uses it with, with different ways Do you have any stories of him in Baghdad that particularly appeal to you guys or beyond? Um, because I remember once hearing um, this this one that particularly sticks with me is that he'd, he'd been out drinking late and he's going from house to house and he's uh, saying all these poems to the people living in these houses and they're just writing them down and the next morning they show up to us and he's like, I don't remember, like, <laughs> did this happen? Did I say these? Does this belong to me? Um, and it's just, yeah. Something about that just is hilarious. So when, when I first started studying Arabic literature, the first book that I really got into was an 11th century book about party crashing by Al Khatib al-Baghdadi, people going to parties uninvited. And this was actually during the time that he was in Egypt. He was just sitting on the roof, hanging out with his friends, and he saw a group of people going to a party And he said, get me a pen and paper and just on the spot wrote a, a witty little poem about how he wanted to come to the party too and got to go to the party by just, you know, he, he talked his way into wherever he wanted to go uh, with his silver tongue. So that was, that was one of my earliest encounters with Abu Nuwas. Listening to these stories, it's tempting to reduce Abu Nuwas to a drunkard or a pleasure seeker as the prevailing narrative goes. But Emily and Briar argue that it just isn't that simple. One popular sort of story about his life claims that he was an alcoholic and a playboy for much of his life, but then later repented and wrote poetry of piety and repentance. And he did indeed write poetry of piety and repentance, but most scholars think that he went back and forth between that and the wine poetry. He might write a poem of uh, repentance and asceticism one day and a poem about how he wants to go get drunk during Ramadan on the next day. And those are just two sides of his personality that live together inside of one very complicated um, uh, man. So I think that, that that's important to remember that this was, this was a man of microcosmic contradictions is how I put it. Um, And I don't think that his piety and his wine drinking were, were necessarily as in conflict as it might originally seem. I think also like one of the things that's, um, that they accused him of is uh, being uh, uh, in the movement of the Shabubia, which is basically uh, preferring um, the Persian race over of uh, the Arabic race or something like that, that sort. I think Taha Hussain um, and Ilya Hawi and also Muhammad Najib, these critics all thought that uh, Abu Nuwas was part of the Shabubia movement of uh, considering the Persian race as like superior to the Arabic race. But I, 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 uh, I don't think so. As I said, like it was like uh, his criticism of Arabic culture, his criticism of the the life of the Badu um, and all this stuff is, is part of the of the of the pro process of development of, of modern poetry, 
which has started to attack the system within itself, like within inside the system, started to to attack the system and talk about new ways of, of writing poetry. Uh, and that's why I think it led to that uh, um, uh, misunderstanding of uh, Abu Nuas. Abu Nuas lived most of his later life in Baghdad till the age of 59, where some sources point, predictably, to his drinking as a cause of his death. So embedded was he in the fabric of Baghdadi culture that when he died roughly around 814 AD, the reigning caliph al-Ma'mun famously declared, the charm of our time has departed, God's curse on anyone who's insulted him. That was over a millennia ago. Today, Abu Nuwas has a street named after him that runs along the scenic Tigris River. It's in the cafes, restaurants and luxury hotels of this street, once the city's showpiece, the artists like the great Nadam al-Ghazali would sing the poet's verses to inebriated crowds. More recently, Tunisian artist Dhafar Youssef paid homage in his song Khamsa. He was very much appreciated by his sex centers in, in Iraq, like Jamil Sikri Zahawi. Uh, he had this poem, uh, it's called Revolution in Hell, where he made like that kind of a revolution with his friends in hell. Uh, it kind of imagines like he died and then he went to hell and then it comes the judgment day and all this stuff. And then he realized that all these stupid people and like who don't know anything are in heaven, but he's like 
in hell with Abu Nuwas, with Khayyam, and with Dante, and like Shakespeare, and all these people. The place to be. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they kind of like made uh, a revolution in, inside hell, and they found uh, a way or uh, a, a tool. They invented a kind of a tool to to extinguish the fire of hell and, and get out of hell and made a revolution. And Abu Nuwas was, was part of this. And, and also his character is, is again, is mentioned in this poetry. Uh, if, you, if you don't mind, I would read it. Uh, so this part is called The Poets in Hell. Abu Nuwas ka'iban and follow them, Abu Nuas, depressed, and he's that hedonist, alcoholic. Like him, Al Khayyam, the great, and Dante, and the Imam of Verses, and Shakespeare. Despite his popularity and influence, Abu Nuas remains virtually unknown outside of the Arab world. A real shame, not merely because of how great of a poet he is, but as Emily argues, he's part of our intellectual ancestry. Abu Nuwas, you know, along with Al-Jahiz, who you already did tribute to, ought to be names known around the world like Shakespeare and Dante are. That's what they ought to be. And it's only because the sort of global and especially Western education system is it has a giant blind spot when it comes to the glories of um, uh, civilizations that that they don't feel are part of the well okay so they don't feel that they're part of their own intellectual ancestry but they're wrong because actually the literature of medieval Baghdad had an enormous enormous impact on the literature of medieval and Renaissance Europe and our own poetry and philosophy and literature wouldn't be what it is today without that. So actually they, they are part of our intellectual ancestry as well and ought to be honored as such. Thanks for listening through to the end of this episode. If you'd like to learn more about and access some of Abu Nuwas's work in translation, I've listed a few books in the description that I found useful while researching for this episode. Finally, stay tuned for the finale of this series of three, centering the vegan visionary, poet and philosopher, Abu'l-Ala al-Muharri.